We don't make any apologies. And I want to say this to every adult in here who has children or grandchildren. I will never apologize for doing everything I can to reach your kids and your grandkids. And that's what we're trying to do in this church. And uh, we're going to do more of it because if we don't reach the next generation, the church will die. And uh, the fact of the matter is we've got some great, great kids in this church. And, and we've got kids that are hungry to reach their classmates, to reach the kids they go to school with. And I don't have to tell you anything you don't know. We're living today in the day of the iMac and the iPad and Facebook and MySpace and the Internet and everything else. And the day of pin the tail on the donkey is over. And if we're going to reach these kids, we got to do it uh, with new methods and new ways. We don't compromise the message, but we do it. And I'm excited. This is the greatest authentic weekend we've ever had. You've already heard we had over, over 200 kids. We've had 23 kids pray to receive Christ. It's just been an absolutely fantastic weekend. And so uh, they'll all be in our service, the next service, all these, these teenagers. But to all of you who had a part and helped, whether you, had a, you hosted the kids in your home or whatever, thank you so very much for being a part of that. And Alfred, to you and Josh and the whole team, great job. Appreciate you so very much you leading us in worship today. Well, if you brought a copy of God's Word, get a head start and turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, and I want to begin by asking uh, you an interesting question that I've heard asked uh, several times before on television, and that is, what person, if you could, what person would you like to meet right now, living or dead? If you could only meet one person, and any person you want to meet in the past or in the present, what person would you like to meet? Now, I know what the stock answer would be for most of us because even though I've never met him physically, I've met him in my heart and my soul. So the stock answer would be Jesus Christ. And I understand that. And one of these days, those of us who know him and love him are going to meet him face to face and live with him for eternity. So he, he doesn't, we're not, we're going we're gonna to put him over here. That, that doesn't count. So apart from Jesus Christ, any person that ever has lived or is living today, if you could meet only one person, what person would you meet? Now, let me tell you the person that I would meet that I promise you will probably, I'll bet most of you, maybe all, well, there may be one or two that might guess, but, but, but none of you would ever guess the person that I'm going to talk about. This is a person that uh, lived um, a good long time ago. As a matter of fact, um, I've never met this lady. She died long before I was born. But for a number of reasons, this lady is, is probably one of the four most special ladies in my, or four or five most special ladies in my life. And she never even called my name. I never got to say a word to her. And yet, for a number of reasons, she will always be super special in my heart. And the, the, the person that I wish I could meet today, if I could meet one person, would be my mother's mother, my grandmother. Now, she was called Mama House. Now, my oldest brother, who doesn't look older than me, unfortunately, but is. Uh, my oldest brother knew her and, and, and knew my grandfather. He had the privilege of doing it. I, I didn't. They died before I was born. And frankly, uh, in a lot of ways, she was a very nondescript person. Matter of fact, you probably could Google her name and you probably wouldn't find anything on the computer. She was a very, very petite woman. She was very soft-spoken. She was a school teacher. I uh, found out just a few years ago, she used to teach at Grayson High School, which is kind of interesting. I didn't know that. She also taught in the little town where I grew up called Oakwood. She lived, uh, as I said, uh, you know, nothing famous about her, never got her name in the paper. She's buried in a very small cemetery in Winder, Georgia. I had lunch with a church member last night who just moved down here a year ago from Indiana. It's not Winder, it's Winder. 
And, and, and she's buried in a little small cemetery outside of Winder, Georgia. And yet the more I know about her and the more I hear of others that I've met who, who were taught by her and who knew her, the more I'm absolutely convinced. And I'm not saying this because she was my grandmother. I'm absolutely convinced she is one of the greatest women in all time. And, 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 and let me tell you why. The number one thing that my grandmother was known for is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, it's what we're going to be talking about today. And, and it's a subject that, quite frankly, let me kind of warn you ahead of time, you wouldn't get too fired up about to learn about, at least on the surface. Because if I had called you at home last night and I had said to you, now, you don't want to miss tomorrow. Well, why not? Because I'm going to talk to you about how to be meek and gentle. You know what you would have said? Thanks for calling. I think I'll hit the snooze button. I, I, I think I'll find something else to do. Because let's be, let's be honest. You know, if we'd had on the marquee of our church today, come in and learn how to be meek and gentle, that really isn't something very exciting. And yet, I want to tell you something I've learned as I prepared this message. You can really measure how close you are to God, and you can really measure how much you're like Jesus, and you can really measure how strong your relationship is to the God you say you know by just where you land on the meekness and the gentleness scale. And my grandmother illustrates why, and I'm going to tell you why she was such a great woman. My mom used to, has told me that, I'm going to, Mama House, that's what everybody called her. My mom told me that there were two things that people used to marvel at Mama House over. Number one, how gentle and kind she was to everybody. She was one of those rare people that my mother said, I never heard my mother say an unkind word about anybody. Never heard my mother raise her voice to anybody. She never saw my mother really get upset and lose her temper. She just wasn't that kind of a lady. And the second thing they would marvel at is how she could always return good for evil. Now, you may sit there and you may say, well, I know people who are soft-spoken. And I know people who return good for evil. And I know people who are just gentle and kind with everybody. But, but what's so remarkable is what you don't know about my grandmother, and yet she was still that way. You see, my grandmother at a very early age lost three children. The first child she had was a son. That son became mama's boy. Everywhere that my grandmother went, that little boy went. He, he, he almost literally would just hold on to the hem of her dress. And everywhere that my grandmother go, she would go. He would go. And she literally was the apple of her eye. She thought the sun rose and set on that little boy. Well, without any warning, at five years of age, that little boy took sick. And in three days, he died. My grandmother, they said, was absolutely devastated, just devastated. She grieved and grieved and grieved as any mother would grieve. Well, it wasn't too long after that that the Lord was good and, and, and she conceived again and she had a little girl. And that little girl and her became so very close and became more like sisters than anything else. And when that little girl was about one and a half, my grandmother conceived again and she had another little girl. And it was almost as if the Lord had said to my grandmother, you know, I know all the sorrow that you had in losing that little boy, so I'm going to double your joy by bringing to you two little girls into your life. And then when that oldest girl was two and a half and the youngest girl was one and a half, they took sick with the same illness that took her little boy. And in the same week, both little girls died. Now, this was back in the day when they used to bring the casket back to the house. They didn't do it in funeral homes and parlors like they do now. This was back in the day when they would bring the funeral home to the house. Those kids were so small 
they could place them in the same casket. Somebody told my mother that they will never forget hearing my grandmother in the kitchen. Those two little kids laying there dead, beautiful, beautiful little girls that my mom, my grandmother just adored. And they heard my grandmother utter these words, Oh, God, will you ever let me have any children that I can keep? Now, the amazing thing about my grandmother is not that she lost kids, because I'm sure there may be some of you right now fighting fighting back tears because maybe you've lost a child. Or maybe you've lost a grandchild, and maybe you know the sorrow and the grief that comes. I thank God to this moment. I've never had that and never experienced that. And I want to tell you, if you're here this morning, I feel for you. I can't even begin to even try to experience the utter devastation that must bring to a person's heart. But the amazing thing about my grandmother is even after going through all of that, she never got bitter. She never got angry. She she never got upset with God. She never took it out on anyone else. She never lashed out at anybody else. There were two things that never left my grandmother until the day she died in her early 60s at a very early age. And I'm still almost convinced today died of a broken heart. There were two things that never left my grandmother. A trust in God and a tenderness toward others. A trust in God and a tenderness toward others. And I'm going to show you today how those two things go together. Now, if you're a guest of ours today, we're in a series called Tasty. And, and it's based on what is known as the fruit of the Spirit. And I hope most of you have, uh, have uh, uh, you know, memorized this by now. We're going to throw these verses up on the screen. Based on Galatians 5, verse 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now we're going to take that off the screen. And we're going to say that together, okay? Ready, set, go. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Oh, boy, it's just, it's it's getting there. You know, I kind of feel like a maestro and half the instruments just can't get there, okay? We're going to get there. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, I'm going to give everybody here an assignment. I want you to learn that by next week, all right? We've been at it now seven weeks, uh, almost eight weeks now, so we're kind of running out of runway and running out of excuses. But here's the point. When you realize that you are in need of a Savior and you come to believe that Jesus is that Savior and you surrender your life to Him, the Bible says He comes to live in you, not just walk beside you, not just hold your hand. He comes to live inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. In turn, the Holy Spirit then for the rest of your life wants to so control you that he lives the life of God through you. Now, the way that life is manifested, the way the Spirit of God does that is he bears fruit. He he, he really literally tries to make your body like the branches of a tree and he bears fruit. God wants your life and my life to bear fruit. Now, remember, fruit is good for two reasons. It's good to you. It tastes good. It's good for you. It's nutritious. So it's good to the tongue. It tastes good. It's good to the body. It's good for you. And and I believe that what God is saying is he wants me and he wants you to live our lives in such a way that just like fruit, we're tasty. And people will be drawn to us and they'll be attracted to us. And when they come into a relationship with us, they'll not only see us be people of love, joy, peace, patience, etc. They'll not only see how good it is to live that kind of a life, but they will also want to experience the Spirit of God that has brought that into our heart. So we will also be good for them and we'll be good 
to them. Now, a part of the fruit that God wants us to bear is the fruit of what is called gentleness. At least in my translation, it's called gentleness. In your translation, it may be called meekness or something else. So let me just go ahead right off the bat and define for you what this fruit is and what this fruit means. Okay, so what I want you to take out the door. Meekness or gentleness, I'll call it meekness. Meekness is simply this. Meekness is trusting God in every circumstance and treating people like you do. Meekness is trusting God in every circumstance and then treating people like you do. Now, for example, that's the word that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember he said this in Matthew 5, 5. He said, blessed are the meek. That's the word that Paul uses here. Blessed are the meek, the gentle, the tender, for they will inherit the earth. By the way, it's too bad that the meek have not already inherited the earth because the unmeek are making a mess out of it, okay? But one of these days, the meek will inherit the earth. Now, Jesus said, if you will be a meek person, if you will be a gentle person, if you will be a tender person, you will be blessed. And he went on to say, you will wind up with the entire world. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Now, that is exactly the opposite of what the world will try to tell you. The world will try to tell you, you won't be blessed with meekness. You'll be blessed if you have money. You'll be blessed if you have muscles. You'll be blessed if you have might. You'll be blessed if you have missiles. But Jesus said, oh, no. Blessed are the people with meekness. I'll tell you something I I bet you've noticed. Have you ever noticed that little children and, and little animals have something in common? Have you ever noticed that they're drawn to people who are gentle? I I mean, you know, one of the things I used to marvel at and get irritated with, and I'm sure my brother can relate to this, I really used to get irritated with the way that my dad would treat my sons. And let me tell you why. My dad was a very gruff man, okay? He, He just had a hard, rough edge to him. Now, he had a soft heart if you got to know him. But I mean on the exterior, if you, you know the actor Tommy Lee Jones, he was kind of like Tommy Lee Jones, you know, real gruff and, and, and uh, you know, just, just, uh, just kind of a, a, a very hard man. And, 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 but, and anybody that knew my dad knew that he, had, he just had this growling, rough side. He was just, in fact, he was just kind of negative. But you know what I noticed with, 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 with my children? And I noticed it also with my brother's children. Papa was a totally different person than dad was. Totally different. I mean, with his grandchildren, he was that gentle grandfather. And I used to wonder, why didn't he treat me that way? Have you ever asked that yourself? If you've got, if you've got, if you're, if you're a parent and now you've got parents and now you've got children, have you ever wondered, why didn't I get everything I wanted? Well, why did I ever get a... He, they, they don't get spankings. Why, why would I get spankings? They don't do anything wrong. Why did I do things wrong? Have you ever noticed? I used to wonder, why did, where's this guy been all my... Ch- where was this guy? When I was growing up, where, where was he? Where did he come from? Well, God can use grandchildren to draw gentleness out of people. God can use grandchildren to draw meekness out of people. So if you're here this morning and you have an A-type personality, you're very intense, you're extremely driven, you're hyperactive, you're super competitive. In other words, you're like me. You need to hear this message, okay? So I want you to get out your pen and paper. I want you to write down two or three things. Number one, here's what the Bible says about this part of the fruit of the Spirit. Number one, we should emulate gentleness. 
Now, I want to tell you up front, in this message, I'm going to interchange gentleness and meekness, okay? So, I say one, I, I mean both, because they're basically synonymous. The most powerful man who ever walked the face of this earth, the man who could have snapped his fingers and destroyed the universe, the man who spoke a world into existence and created it, the Bible says, was a man of meekness. The man who could call down 10 legions of angels to destroy any army, army who could turn water into wine, who could speak a word and make an angry, angry mob fall on their face, who could feed thousands of people with a few loaves and a few fish, who could walk on the water and still a storm, the Bible says, was a man of incredible meekness. Now listen to what Jesus said in one of the greatest passages in the Bible, Matthew chapter 11. Before I read this passage, let, let me just get it, you know, we've talked about this a moment ago. Obviously, I've never walked with Jesus physically and, and neither have you. And we've never had the, the privilege of spending three years watching him and sleeping with him and listening to him and talking to him and learning from him. And the best way we can know anything about him and the way he really was was simply to listen, how does Jesus describe himself? And in this very familiar passage of Scripture, I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28. Great passage. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened. You're weary this morning, you're burdened, you're tired. Have you just about had all you could take? Jesus said, come to me. And I will give you rest. Sweet words. Now listen to this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now watch this. For I am, what's that word? Gentle. Same word Paul used. I am gentle. I'm not hard. I'm not rough. I'm not mean. I'm not just all powerful. I am gentle. Humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. Jesus said, you want to know who I am? Just, just come touch me. Come spend time with me. I'll tell you what you'll find out. I'm gentle. We don't, know. we don't have to wonder about that. You remember what the Bible says about Jesus and children? The Bible says that little children were drawn to Jesus like a magnet draws iron. He was literally the first Pied Piper in history. Everywhere Jesus went, it wasn't just men that wanted to follow him. It wasn't just women that wanted to follow him. The Bible says little children would say to their moms and dads, can I go after that man? Can I go spend time with Jesus? Can I just, just, just go over there and just touch Jesus? Jeep people and kids were drawn to his gentleness. He was the masterpiece of meekness. Now, by the way, that ought to tell us something about meekness. You don't have to be weak to be meek. You don't have to be jelly to be gentle. I mean, Jesus was meek, okay? No doubt about it. He said he was meek, but he wasn't weak. He wasn't afraid to stand up for what was right. He wasn't afraid to stand up against what was wrong. Nobody intimidated him, whether it was the religious establishment, the civil establishment, the business establishment. You remember, the, in fact, John tells the story. He said it happened twice. But you remember in the Gospels where Jesus walked into the temple, the first time he ever walked into the temple, he heard the he heard the, uh, the, uh, the the groans of the pigs, and he heard the bleeding of the goats, and he looked around, and, and there they were. They were exchanging money, and, and, and they, were, they basically turned, uh, you know, the church house into a business. And you remember what the Bible says? The Bible says he took a whip, and I mean beat the daylights out of them. And I mean, he chased the money changers out when nobody else would. And I mean, he wasn't just, and he just, he didn't just whip them. I mean, he gave them not just a physical lashing, he gave them a tongue lashing. And where everybody else had stuck their head in the sand, he stood up and said, you're not going to make Church Street Wall Street. This is my father's house. Get out of here. 
but he was gentle. He was meek. He was tender. You don't have to be a wimp to be meek. So I want you to understand this morning, when I'm talking about gentleness and meekness, I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, you, 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 you be mild-mannered. I'm not necessarily saying that you, you, that means you can't ever, ever get your feathers ruffled. When, when I talk about being gentle, here, here's the picture I don't want you to get. I don't want you to think of somebody that's short and skinny and has Coca-Cola bottles for glasses and slicks his hair back with Vaseline and sees soprano in the church choir and looks like a toothpick at both ends. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, I'm not talking Pee Wee Herman, okay? That's not what I want you to think when I talk about meekness. Now, at the same time, as you're going to see in just a moment, you can be strong, you can have convictions, you can speak up, you can speak out, but you can do it with a spirit of gentleness. Theodore Roosevelt put it best. Theodore Roosevelt said, you remember? He said, what? Walk what? Softly, but what? Carry a big stick. That, that's, that's, that is perfectly put. Be gentle, but be firm. Be meek, but never back up. Be tender, but be willing to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. Now, you know, at the same time, you can come across, and I want you to hear this, you can come across without coming across cross. Does that make sense? You can come across without coming across. I, look, y'all, y'all say amen. It took me two days to think that one up, all right? You can come across without coming across cross. Because when you were with Jesus, and this was true of everybody. This was true of the Pharisees. It was true of the Sanchez. It was true of the prostitutes. It was true of the, of, of the pimps. It was true of the drunkards. It was true of the gluttons. Every time somebody came into the presence of Jesus, even though they knew he was different, even though many of them believed they were in the presence of God, He put everybody at ease. Nobody was ever intimidated. Nobody was ever afraid. Because with Jesus, there was always the spirit of meekness and gentleness. Now, I'm not saying this to brag on me. I want to make that very plain. Anybody knows me knows I would never do that. First, I'm not that dumb. I wouldn't get up here and brag on myself. I mean, that's that's stupid. I I will brag on my humility occasionally, okay? But, But here's my point. One of the things that people, I, sometimes people drop me an email. I got an email the other day from a person who visited our church, and they said, I, I don't, I just never, I've just never seen a pastor who just stands outside and talks to people. And I just can't believe how approachable you are. Well, where do I get that idea? I get that from Jesus. If, if there was anything true about Jesus, he was approachable. Kids felt like they could walk up to him. Prostitutes felt like they could walk up to him. Women who were considered second-class citizens felt like they could walk up to him. Why? He had this spirit of meekness and gentleness and tenderness. As if anybody felt, I can walk up to this guy, and he'll know exactly how I feel. I can walk up to this guy, and it doesn't matter what I've done I'll find a cup of mercy in one hand and a cup of grace in the other hand. He was meek. He was gentle. He was tender. And the point is, if Jesus himself was meek and Jesus himself was was gentle, we ought to just die in our own heart to say, I want to emulate that same fruit in my life because that's the way he was. That's the way we ought to be. So we ought to emulate gentleness. Number two, we should cultivate gentleness. Now, I want to remind you that this quality of being gentle or being meek or keeping our ego in check is a fruit of the Spirit. Let me just warn you something. It is not natural to do this. 
Now, I was telling you the other day that some of this fruit's harder for my branches to bear than other ones, than others. This is one that's hard for me to bear. I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm being very honest. As a matter of fact, we're even living in a culture that is telling us we shouldn't do this. Because what, what, what I mean by, by, by meekness and gentleness, and when I say this, then the light's going to come on for some of you this morning. The opposite of meekness and the opposite of gentleness is demanding your rights. That's the opposite, completely opposite. I mean, today, you can't turn right without running into somebody's rights. There's rights for everybody, children, the elderly, disabled workers under 25, workers over 40, alcoholics, the addicted, the homeless, spotted owls, snail darters. Everybody's got rights except the unborn. But everybody else got rights. And rights are as considered as American as apple pie. The best known part of the Constitution is what? The Bill of Rights. You know, everybody's got their rights. Now, understand, I, I believe in certain rights. I understand that, that rights are the bedrock of our society. We get to do what we do right now without any fear of prosecution or persecution because we have the right to worship any way that we please. We ought to have that. We ought to have the right of free speech. We ought to have the right to address the government with things we don't like. We ought to have the right to run for office. We ought to have the right for, for vote to vote for whomever we please. I'm not against rights. That's not my point. Here's the difference. When you're controlled by a spirit of gentleness and a spirit of meekness, your number one concern will not be to demand your rights from somebody else. Your number one concern will be, what are my responsibilities towards someone else? When you have a spirit of meekness and gentleness, you don't look out for number one. You look out for number two, three, and four. That's the difference. And that's what's missing in our society. By the way, if you want to see what happens when you don't have a spirit of meekness and you don't have a spirit of gentleness in society, just look at what's happening in our courts. I mean, you just look at it yourself. Everybody is suing everybody for everything. And, and, and you've got to be insured for almost, almost everything and anything to protect yourself from being sued in case something goes wrong. Let me give you an illustration. I got a call this week from a pastor in a Midwestern state. And uh, he called and he said, James, he said, I, man, I need some advice. He said, I, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, tell me what's going on. Here was the situation. A girl came to him and had, had told him that she had been raped by her brother. And she didn't know what to do about it. And furthermore told him that her brother had also been sexting kids and, and, and propositioning young girls in their youth group. Well, the he dealt with it. He told me, you know, I called the police, which first thing you have to do, you're legally bound to do it and got the police involved and all that. Then he brought the father in to meet with him and the daughter. As a matter of fact, the father requested a meeting with him. He didn't call him in. The father requested a meeting with the pastor. Well, when they got in there, the father, instead of trying to minister to the daughter, tries to throw the daughter under the bus and basically blame the daughter for what the brother had done and just devastated the daughter. And so this pastor was telling me how, you know, he just basically read this guy the right act and said, man, you're about to lose your daughter. You know, you better wake up and get your head out of the sand, so on and so forth, right? Did the right thing. I said, okay, so what's the problem? The dad who's now left the church is now contemplating suing the pastor in the church for duress and stress. Now, there's a Greek word for what that guy is. It's whack job. <laughs> but, but, but here's my point. 
That's our society. That, that, that's society we live in to get today. I mean, let's go back and study this word. Just I haven't even gotten into the word yet. The word gentleness is a word that basically means mild or soft. And it was used to describe a, a soft breeze or a soothing medicine. Here's, here's a great picture. It was used of, 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 uh, of wild horses who would be broken by a trainer so they could be useful in work. So if you really want to define the word gentleness, I can tell you in three words what it means. It means power under control. An unbroken horse is useless. Medicine that is too strong will kill you. A wind out of control destroys everything in its path. So when you really dig down deep and you're asking yourself, okay, how can I know whether whether or not I'm really a meek person or a gentle person or not? Here's the question to ask yourself. Do I on a 24-7 basis as much as possible let God be in control in every area of my life? You let me know what your answer to that question is and I'll tell you how meek you are and how gentle you are and how tender you are. Because a spirit of meekness, a spirit of gentleness says, Lord, I don't want my way in my life. I want your way in my life. So let me just give you, let me give you some examples of things you probably never thought about. If you really have a spirit of gentleness... Now, now buckle up. If you really have a spirit of gentleness, you will take out your wallet, you'll take out your checkbook, you'll take out your pocketbook, you will open it up to the Lord, and you will say, Lord, how much of this do you want me to keep, and how much of this do you want me to give? If you have a spirit of gentleness. If you have a spirit of gentleness, you'll take your clock, you'll take your watch, and you'll say, Lord, how do you want me to spend my time for you? If you have a spirit of gentleness, you will take your gifts and your abilities and you'll say, Lord, how can I use the gifts and the abilities you've given me for your glory and for the good of other people? Because let me just be honest. Even the vast majority of Christ followers that I have pastored through the years are what I call Frank Sinatra Christians. Their attitude is, I'm going to do it my way. Now, you can stand up there and preach to me all you want to preach, but I'm going to determine how I live my life. You can talk about what God says about giving till you're blue in the face. I'll give what I think I ought to give or I won't give a dime. You, you, you can stand up there and you can preach truth all you want to preach and preach about being faithful to the Lord, but I'll decide when I'm going to serve my church. I'll determine how much I'm going to put in the offering. I'll decide how often I come to God's house. I'm just going to live my, my life the way that I want to live it. And the point is, the spirit of gentleness begins not with your relationship toward others. It begins with your relationship toward God. There's an old hymn we used to sing when I was growing up that that many of you will remember. It was called, I Surrender All. How many of you remember that that old hymn, I Surrender All? Well, if you want to know what the spirit of gentleness is, go back and read that hymn. That, That is the spirit of gentleness. When you come before the Lord and you just honestly say, Lord, today I surrender all. My rights, my desires, my wants. I'm going to surrender the way I react to other people no matter how they treat me. I'm going to surrender my right to revenge. I'm going to surrender my right to react retaliation. I'm going to surrender, surrender my right to what is best for me. That is the spirit of gentleness. And that's why, listen, you have to cultivate it because that doesn't come naturally. I'm telling you, just left to your own devices, you know who you'll look out after every single time? You'll look out after you. And you'll try to do what you want. And you'll try to get what you think you deserve. It will always happen. And there's only one way you can do that. And that's just simply by every single day of your life, you begin every morning with a complete 
unequivocal, unconditional surrender of everything you have and everything you are to the Heavenly Father with the desire that He be glorified in your life. So every day, you've got to literally say, Lord, you may be like me. You say, Lord, this just does not come naturally to me, to which God's going to say, I know it's a fruit. So, Lord, today, I need you to help me cultivate the spirit of gentleness. Now, here's the last thing, and that is we should demonstrate gentleness. We should demonstrate gentleness. Now, understand, and, and this is where a lot of people get confused about people who are meek and gentle. This is not a passive person. This is not a person that just kind of stands over in the corner and doesn't do anything, doesn't say anything, doesn't take any action. No, a real gentle person is proactive. Because gentleness doesn't affect so much what you do as it does how you do it. Now, I'm going to give you, I just want to give you, you don't, you don't need to look all these verses up. You want to write these down. But let me just give you some practical examples of how gentleness is applied in the New Testament. For example, uh, uh, just write down 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. Just write this for these verses. 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. Now, look, look up on the screen. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an, give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In other words, he's talking about defending your faith. Always be ready. Somebody's got a question about your Christian faith. Somebody's got a question about the Bible. They got a question about Jesus. They got a question about, you know, doctrine. Always be ready when somebody asks you, know your faith well enough and know your Bible well enough that you're always ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, keep reading. But do this with what? Gentleness. And respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, here's what Peter was saying. Peter was saying, if you speak truth, but you speak it the wrong way, you'd be better keeping your mouth shut. There's even a right way and a wrong way to defend what you believe. There's a right way and a wrong way to speak truth. There's a right way and a wrong way to stand up for the faith. Because there are going to be times you're going to be pressed to defend what you believe and defend why you believe it. And you're going to run into people who are recalcitrant, they're argumentative, they're stubborn, they're ridiculing, they're agitate, agitating. And let me tell you something. I used to fall into this trap and thank God I won't do it anymore. The next time you run it, you may, work, you may say, man, I work with someone like that. And they may be an atheist or agnostic or they're skeptical and they just love to kind of gig you. They love to pour salt into you. They love to really get you. I mean, just, they love to light you up like a Christmas tree. And I want you to remember what I'm about to tell you. Your job in that situation is not to win an argument. Your job is to win the heart. And it doesn't do anybody good to win an argument if you win it the wrong way. It doesn't do you any good to defend your faith if you defend it the wrong way. And there just simply isn't any need. You say, well, they make me angry. Listen, there's, why would you get angry with a blind man who can't see? Why would you get angry with a deaf man who can't hear? Why would you get into a fight with a lame man who can't walk? Makes no sense. Now, it's the same way that we ought to minister to people who have failures in their lives, who fall short of what they ought to be, who do things they shouldn't do. Listen to this statement, Galatians 6, verse 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him how? Gently. But watch yourself or you may also be tempted. 
Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, he's not talking here about an unbeliever who's living in unbroken sin. This is a believer who messed up. This is a believer who fell. This is a believer who didn't get it right. This is a believer who did something he should not have done. And, and Paul says, restore them gently. By the word, the, the word restore is a surgeon's term, and it refers to the setting of a broken bone or a dislocated joint. If you've ever had that happen, if you ever had to go to a doctor, they had to set a bone or, or get a joint back in place, as much as they can, they try to do it gently and tenderly and softly. Let me tell you why this is such a big deal. One of the biggest faults we have in churches, and we do, let's just be honest and fess up about it because we know it's true and God knows it's true. We tend to be so judgmental of others and so condemning of others. And let's just be honest. The first time we hear that somebody falls or messes up, the first, the, I mean, almost our first reaction is we want to point our finger. And what Paul is saying is, if you have the spirit of gentleness, here's the first thing you'll say. When you see somebody that's fallen, when you see that somebody that's messed up, when you see somebody that has failed, here's the first thing you'll say. You'll say, except for the grace of God, that could have been me. Except for the grace of God, that would have been me. Let me tell you something. You know one of the, and I've, I've witnessed this too many times in the church. You know one of the biggest problems we have in the church, and we still have it today, and I guess the church has always had it. We shoot our own soldiers and kill our own wounded. We really do. Now, we ought to confront sin, and we ought to confront sin in the church, and we ought to do it firmly, but we ought to do it lovingly and compassionately and gently. Now, I want to get real personal here and tell you how this spirit of gentleness works out. You can't even worship God correctly if you don't come into this church with a spirit of gentleness. You say, what do you mean by that? Every time you hear a man of God take the Word of God and preach the truth of God, you ought to receive it in the spirit of gentleness. You say, where do you get that idea? All right, listen to this verse, James 1.21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and, you know what that word humbly literally means? Same word, gently. And humbly, gently accept the Word planted in you which can save you. And what James is saying is every Sunday when you come to church to hear God's Word, to hear whatever truth you ought to hear, you ought to walk into the door of this building with a predetermination. I don't care what truth I hear from God's Word today. I'm going to live it. I'm going to practice it. I'm going to apply it in my life. I don't care how painful it might be, how hurtful it might be, no matter what it may mean as far as changing my lifestyle. If God's Word says it, I'm going to do it. So let me put it to you this way. There is a difference between coming to church and listening to what the pastor says and really hearing what the pastor says. See, truth is just like medicine. It's only good for you if you take it. You don't take it. It's no good for you. That's why James goes on to say, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Let me tell you what that means. You walk into this church with this kind of an attitude. Well, I'll hear what you got to say. Fire your gun. And if I like it, I'll do it. And if I don't, I won't. James says, you know what? You won't be a doer of the word. You'll be a hearer of the word. And it won't do you any good. It does no good to go to a doctor. If you've already made up your mind, I'll only take the medicine if I like it. I'll only take the shot if I feel like today I'll have the shot. 
I'll only take his prognosis and his diagnosis if, if I want to. Then there's no need to go to the doctor. And that's exactly what the Scripture is saying here. Now, do you know why gentleness is so important? God can do anything. Listen, God can do anything with anyone who is meek and gentle. He can't do anything with someone who's not. Did you hear me? He can do anything with anyone who is meek and gentle. He can't do anything with someone who is not. Now, let me just close with, with this, last, this last application. You can be gentle in tone, but not gentle in truth. You, you can be gentle on the outside without being gentle on the inside. You can say a lot of the right things without doing many of the right things. And you will never have the fruit of gentleness in your life unless you realize three things. Number one, you are what you are by the grace of God. Number two, you have what you have because of the goodness of God. And number three, you ought to take who you are and what you have and use it for the glory of God. Now, when you understand those three things and you really start practicing those three things, you'll say, okay, now I've got the spirit of gentleness. I, I read a biography when I was a kid, and I'll close with this. I read a biography when I was in the third grade of an African-American. I hope some of you know, I hope all of you know who he is. If you don't, you ought to go back and read him. One of the greatest Americans who ever lived. His name was George Washington Carver. And, and, and he's one of the greatest Americans who ever lived. He was a tremendous inventor. As a matter of fact, let me tell you something, just one thing that he did. George Washington Carver took the ordinary peanut, peanut, and found over 300 different ways the peanut could be used to benefit society. A tremendous inventor, great horticulturalist, great agriculturalist, a great, great leader, but he grew up in the wrong time. And he grew up in the wrong culture. And he grew up in the wrong society. And just because he was black instead of white, he was greatly underappreciated in his lifetime. And I remember reading as a third grader about, about George Washington Carver. And I, I, began, I remember thinking to myself about how angry I would have been if he had been my dad. And just because he was black... He, he didn't get the honor he deserved. He didn't get to meet people he should have met. He didn't get to go places he should have gone. But what I also really drew, what also really drew me to Mr. Carver was he had a strong faith in God. And even though he had to experience the, the unbelievable uh, rejection of, of just out-and-out out racism, God managed to develop in him this spirit of gentleness and toward the end of his life, he was giving a lecture to some college students about what they could do with their life. And he made one of the greatest statements I've ever heard a man make in my life. And here's what he said. How far you go in life depends on your being tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, sympathetic with the striving, and tolerant of the weak and strong because someday in life you will have been all of these. What a great statement. What a powerful statement. And it was the spirit of gentleness that caused Jesus to go to a cross so that we could be tenderly forgiven for our sins. So let's make sure today that everybody that crosses our path, everybody, not knowing where they've been, not knowing what they've gone through, not knowing what they're under, Let's make sure that everybody crosses our path. They'll find us tender to the touch and a blessing in their life.
Let's pray together.